Of all the authors we are lucky enough to have in at Published or Not, it is Fiona McIntosh who has been back to 3CR time and time again with her books. Thank you for returning, but more so, thank you for your well-researched and very readable books. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Fiona, you build characters often with social, political or moral dilemmas. This time, it's the Grant family. Henry Grant has made new money. Mm. How's he done that? Well, he has been quite canny in how he's invested his money and he's taken massive risks. Now, where this book is set in Victorian times, sort of the 1870s, when, um, you know, it was still very, uh, the wealth was old, um, families were quite um, stodgy, super conservative, um, but Henry's one of those sparkly little um, characters who takes massive risk and goes traveling the world and collects artworks that nobody's ever seen before from the exotic places of the world. And he builds a house that it, everybody sneers at because it's like a folly. Um, but he's making money and that makes him mm. um, sort of dangerous and one to look out for. And I like the way that he, you know, people that are from old money look to, to him and his beautiful wife Lillian and say, look at that way he lavishes it on her. She's like a chandelier. She sparkles so much. <laughs> <laughs> now they've got a daughter. This is Lillian and Henry, and it's Louisa. Yes. Oh, also beautiful. And a son, Reggie, but from a different yes. Uh, mother. Yes. I mean, Henry's not exactly, you know, he's not following the the normal mm-hmm. way. He's a bit of a rebel. Yes, he has had this um, son out of wedlock and, and Lillian hates this son because it's not hers. And but he's, he's always, he's paid for the schooling, although it's boarding school for this mm, son. Yes. And this son, Reggie, and Louisa do know of each other. Oh, yes, and love each other. Actually, Louisa, his stepsister, um, um, sorry, Louisa, the, the, um, Henry. So we're getting all our wives mixed up here. Louisa really does love um, her stepbrother um, and feels he's unfairly done by. She doesn't like being the only child and this glorious little glittery mm. um, jewel in the crown of the Grant family. And it's why, indeed, that she is capricious in how she um, treats them in terms of who she ends up marrying. Well, now... The father decides it should be a new bridge built on this weird and wonderful estate and brings over the, a Scottish engineer came, called James Knight. What happens there? Oh, well, James is a romantic soul. He's a very poor little man, but he's completely besotted with um, this Louisa. beautiful daughter. And he decides in making this bridge for the father um, to ford a sort of a, a, a stream that is running mm. through the property that he would make it an ode to this beautiful woman. Um, and it's a very fairy tale like bridge. And it's in the making of this bridge and how he describes it to her that um, they fall in love. Yes. So, well, look... This is where the book starts. Yes, we haven't ruined anything for anyone (laughs) at this point. (laughs) So James and Louisa leave England. 
Wherefore? Where does the book start? Well, James is tired of the disdain that is being shown to him by the Grant family. I mean, he thinks he is a man of merit and that, you know, he's an engineer and he would like to try and do the right thing by this um, beautiful woman and also their new child, Clementine. Mm. Um, And it's certainly the Grant family now turn their focus to Clementine. They think she is the new jewel in the crown. And James decides, well, actually, we're not going to stay. We are going to Australia. We're going to sail off to Australia. And the family, though heartbroken, believes, well, at least there's a society in Australia and they can, you know, our daughter Louisa and our little um, precious granddaughter can at least live in a good society. But, of course, there's a shock coming. It's a shanty town. (laughs) He gets completely besotted by the idea in Cape Town when they step off the ship whilst the ship is taking on supplies. James hears about the Diamond Rush of 1871. So they're in an unforgiving land where the British struggled for survival. Almost every creature that roamed was capable of killing them if the summers didn't get them first. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Okay. Now, so James, uh, the engineer, is digging. Digging. He's a diamond digger. And uh, Clementine and uh, Louisa are living in a shanty. Under a tent. And Louisa knows that she's dying. Um, So we're not ruining anything because this all happens in the opening few pages of the book. Mm. And it really sets up the story because Louisa, in loving James and realising the mistake of that love, um, that he is an adventurer, he is a free spirit, um, and that they've both been very careless with their child, who they both love very much, but mm. they've been careless with her. So Louisa's six years old. Yeah, she's, she's between five and six, and she she knows she's dying, and she is going to leave this most precious child in the care of a man who is beginning to lose his mind because of the failure to seek find his fortune. They've been they're actually in the alluvial diggings and he's finding nothing. He hasn't found anything um, and he refuses to take any of the family money. He's too proud. And so this little girl is running wild like an urchin around a mining camp and getting no real parental supervision or control. There is one person in one her One person mix. who James shares the digging with. Mm. Now, on the very day that uh, Louisa dies, they, they hear something. They hear that there's a new diamond strike out at De Beers. Mm. De Beers so, Farm. De Beers Farm. And so the partner takes off Mm. and says, you know, I'll meet you there. But, of course, James couldn't come immediately. He had to deal with Louise's death. But this partner just was such a magnificent man. Yeah, he's a great character and I was was not sure where the story was going when I first started to, well, go out to Africa and start researching um, the Kimberley area in South Africa. Um, I needed my main characters. I already had um, Louisa and James in my mind. I thought I was writing about them, but then Mm. I realised I was actually writing about Clementine and that changed my focus. And I thought, who's looking out for Clementine? And then this character 
walked into my pages and he's a Zulu warrior and he is there on behalf of his tribe. And this was very normal in that time. Lots of the uh, tribal um, men left their tribes to go and try and find diamonds and turn that into money for the tribes. So it wasn't um, an unusual sight. And he sort of befriends or James befriends him and together they sort of work alongside each other. But then they decide to make a, a claim together and peg out a claim and and dig together. together. And it is this man who is called Joseph Wanshu. And the moment that name was coined, um, I knew I had a very special character on my hands. And I knew that this story was not going to be a traditional love story. I knew it was going to be a story about an unbreakable bond between two unlikely people, a little girl who is um, needs help, needs love, needs affection, needs supervision and um, guidance, and this wise, beautiful, brilliant African. So we also see that James, the father, is suffering so badly mm. from depression yep. and he's drinking and it's a Clementine is relying on Joseph and he tells her all about the stars and then there's a, a, a strike in their own diggings and they find a diamond. They found a lot of diamonds but this special diamond is given an, an astrological name. Yeah. Because it's meaningful to Joseph and to, um, well, to all of them. They all know a bit about the night sky. And Joseph brings the sort of Zulu names to the night sky and how um, his tribe regards those um, fabulous heavenly bodies. And uh, James can tell them a little bit about um, the, how the British view the night sky mm. and, the, and the Western way and how, how we've named these stars. Um, and that's quite a, a lovely aspect of the whole story, actually. That, that's another um, sort of link in the chain mm. of their bond is that they bond over these stars and Sirius in particular, which is the, the, the brightest star in the sky. Well, back in England, Lillian... The, uh, the grandmother and Reggie, the uncle, are, are gutted by the letter telling them that Louisa has died. Mm. What does Lillian ask Reggie to do? <laughs> well, Lillian hates Reggie mm. and Reggie has tried every which way to convince Lillian that he's not after the family money, he's not after anything. He just wants to be regarded as one of the family and he has the family's best interests at heart. And Lillian decides, well, if there's one thing that we can come together on, it's our shared love of um, her child, Louisa, mm. that is now dead, and his love for his sister and now their shared desire to look after the child of Louisa. And they've both got a vested interest in this little girl. And so Lillian um, charges Reggie with the job of, at any cost, go and get that little girl back from Africa, bring her home. And he feels, this is my chance to prove myself 
um, to this woman who has despised me since birth and I will do this and I will, you know, I'm going to stake my claim in the family through this. So now we jump to part two with <laughs> some some other things happening, I can tell you. I hope you. we're not giving away no. too much here. But Clementine is now 29. Yes, she's all grown up. Um, and she, and, and we've, we will skip that bit about Reggie finding her. And, yes, yeah, she's all grown up and uh, she's a modern woman of 18 sort of 90s now she's a a a woman who tolerates no um the social mores of the day offend her in Mm. in various ways whether it's the fashion that she is forced to wear whether it's having a chaperone um whether it's um just the racism that is um underway in britain for um people who've come from other countries and she is very rebellious but she's got money and Mm. she's got status and so she's got a voice into all of that so Reggie, the uncle, knows that she wants to achieve something. So he lines up a business meeting with her to talk to um, an insurance person about things happening in the diamond industry. And that someone is Will Axford. How would you describe Will? Will comes from a very conservative family, a very old money. So he is the opposite of... Clementine. He's, you know, the polar opposite. So he's fine, respectful. He is, he follows the the traditions. He doesn't push back against anything. He's very respectful of his father. Um, And he's um, a Lloyd's man, what we call a Lloyd's man. So he's one of the insurance brokers for the famous Lloyd's Um, where they insured against shipping and disasters and things like this. And Will is very much entrenched in that. And he's aware that Reggie wants to use his services, but he doesn't fully trust Reggie's way of doing business. He feels there's a little bit too much gunslinging going on. And um, Will is completely different to that, but becomes... Besotted Besotted. with Clementine. Yes. Now here we have Fiona McIntosh doing what she does really well, very clever plotting. (laughs) She gets these two involved in love but never together. And we have uh, Clementine, Clementine saying from the book, as she stepped from the pavement onto the carriage, Clementine made a decision that no man would ever manipulate her again. She would take full control of her life and her future. Yes, indeed. And that takes us to part three. <laughs> it back, Clementine has arrived back in the Kimberley um, gold digging area by first class carriage, not oxen. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what she finds there and what she does, you'll have to read. Yes, and oh. find out. And she discovers all the treachery and oh. betrayals that are surrounding her life. And um, and that's really what the story hinges on, that there's this enormous um, friendship. Um, and she is, there are three major men in her life. And she feels that She's been betrayed by all of them except one. And um, there's only one that can give her the truth and only one that has ever stood by her. And even though these men profess to love her, they are letting her down. And she decides, well, I don't need I don't need 
any of you anymore. I'm in control here and I'm the one with all the wealth. So I'll decide where that wealth goes and how I use it. Now, what I really love about your writing is that you get behind the scene on things and we can really feel like we're there. Oh, that's great. And it was Hatton Garden Mm. Diamond area. Now, I feel that you must have walked that area and gone into some of those diamonds. I did. I got right behind the scenes in Hatton Garden. And it's a very closed and mysterious place, even to this day. I mean, it's a shadow of itself from when it was in the 1890s when uh, the story takes place because Hatton Garden was where all the diamonds of the world um, found their way into to be sold, um, turned into jewellery, merchants would come and go. um, And so it was vital. It was the world's centre, epicentre of diamonds. And it, to some degree, it's still got that romance about it when you go into um, Hatton Garden. I'm not going to ask how you got there. (laughs) You just sort of seem to be able to do these things, get places and do things and and give us as readers a real insight into what it looks like and how it feels. Thank you. Oh, look, Fiona McIntosh, The Diamond Hunter, published by Penguin and Justin, another really good fun read. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.